great stories told by great personalities. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. We start the book in the, where with the conversation in the middle of, of the, what would be the middle of the book, asking how uh, the, the influence of uh, Mary Makeba himself, Hugh Masigela, and, and Letambulu, and all of those other South Africans, uh, how they influenced uh, the, 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 the popularity of South African music. And he talks to you about Mary Makeba. Just walking with these thousands of songs in her head. And uh, um, between her and what I remembered, I was able to come back, uh, and then I had to write everything down for the American, well, Larry Willis, you know, the American musicians yes, I had yes. to play with, uh, because I say, wait a minute now, man, where's one? Where's one? You know, so I had to write it down, and uh, I had to write down the accents. So one of the, the greatest present actually in my life was being able to come back home, which I never thought. Wow. But when I came back home. I nobody knew. I was just smiling because I knew I was going to be playing with South African musicians. I didn't have to explain fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 you know, t- taking that music, do you think you left any of it in the U.S.? Do you think you influenced them enough to not only appreciate you playing it, but also? Um, uh, them learning some of because I'm told South African music and I know some of this especially Maskandi you, you can't quite notate it you can't quite it's, it's a bit difficult it's, it's typical to this part of the world yeah well uh, um, listen uh, by now I mean they really like uh, they know the music of South Africa but uh, through Black Mambazo through mm. the Soul Brothers uh, through uh, Miriam Makeba especially mm. you know and, and, and went after it I mean you look at uh, um, um, was the bass player with the head uh, um, Marcus Miller Marcus Miller mm-hmm. his last his latest album you know um, is, is like very heavy um, um Afrobeat Nigerian, mm, mm. Uh, uh, and he calls it, I think, Aphrodisia, something like that. Mm, mm. And there's a, there's a lot of uh, um, Africa, uh, African American women singers who really are, you know, um, try to uh, put those inflections, and a lot of musicians uh, 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 claim, you know, mm. uh, that I influence them. I can't hear the influence in the music that they do, but they say, man, you know. You changed my mind, and man, now I'm the motherland, and blah, blah, blah. But um, I never, and I'm very careful about it, I never fancy myself as being significant or having affected Mm. other people. Mm. Mm. Even though you have. Mainly out of uh, fear for my grandmother, who saw that from her uh, grave, if I ever thought I was important, she'd send lightning out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know if I have it in the book, but, you know, after 20 years uh, abroad, I, I came to live in Botswana, and my grandmother, who had raised me and Barbara, you know, uh, came to visit, and people were bringing uh, LPs for me to sign, you mm. know, and some just mm. like mm. Uh, books to sign or papers to sign, and she kept looking, so about two days before she left, she said, Mfunukuruma now, mm. I want to talk to you, uh, and uh, just privately, me and you. So we sat in the backyard under the tree, and she said, "I see people bringing books here yeah, and those things that play music, and uh, they let you sign and all that, uh, and, and they, 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 
seems like you've become very important. Mm. So I said, well, yeah, but they do that in the States and everywhere I go. She said, do they know you? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, I'm going to go to the because let me tell you something. When you were born and came to our house, you didn't bring anything. And, uh, and uh, we taught you how to walk. We taught you how to talk. We taught you how to think. And it took us three years to show you where the bathroom was. Wow. And you lived free for 17 years and ate more than all of us and never put a penny on the table. <laughs> and when you wanted to play that funny thing of yours, we supported you. <laughs> and 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 you used to make noise like, in the backyard in the garage it was so painful. <laughs> but we lived with that too. And uh, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't be anything. So if anybody praises you or says it, if you don't tell them this story, and I'll send it from my grave. And everybody who is with you will die. You know how they like to exaggerate. <laughs> but I think she just wanted to remind me, Guti, uh, you know, you got all these things from us. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that's missing in, in a lot of uh, uh, um, people in, in, in the entertainment business, especially at home, because once they get a little recognition, they think that uh, they are gifts, uh, God's gift or nature's gift to uh, humanity. Mm. And uh, and that's usually what brings you down. Talking about, you know... I wish I could brag, but I'm so uh, scared of well, my Well, I uh, will brag on your behalf. That's fine. But I Be want careful, though. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to talk... You know, back to your book. Um, how did you choose what goes into that book? I mean, like the story now you've just told about your grandmother. It's a story that you've, you, you probably never shared in your book. Um how did you decide what stayed in the book and what didn't? Because I didn't you've decide. got such a rich I didn't life. decide. I didn't decide. The, 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 you know, there's a lot of things that the, 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 the editor, Chris, was a young, genius uh, African-American. He was just so proud. He said, man, isn't the book singing from page? I said, yeah, yeah, it is. But I said, you left this art and you left that art. He said, he kept saying, well, Americans wouldn't understand that. Okay, so he was writing for the American market. Well, it was, you know, it was published by a Random House in New York. Okay. And on the strength of my having lived there, you know, I knew Marie Brown, who had been uh, um, um, a, um, uh, uh, an editor for like all Macmillan, Doubleday, all, all the publishing houses. Mm. And she knew everybody. And she had been, you know, agent for Terry Macmillan. And who's the woman who um, um, won the Nobel Prize? And James Baldwin and all that. And then we're all with, with Quincy Troop. We're all kind of like a gang, mm -hmm. you know. And then mm -hmm. there was Sunday readings. They'd always ask me to come. So when... when um, Michael Cheers, who was then head of Ebony, was bugging me. You gotta write this book, man. You gotta write this book. Nigga, please. You gotta write this book. And finally I said, okay, I'll tell it to you. You, you tape it and you write it because I'm busy. And I was busy having a good time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, uh, no, in fact, I was busy uh, enjoying my recovery. This was like yes. 2000. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, and, uh, so I started like doing it, and then I told Marie Brown we do, and she said, "Let me see what you got." And she 
put it together for a presentation. And uh, she took us to every publisher. Uh, but uh, um, we liked the 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 the, the kids at uh, 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 Random House, basically because they both came from Harlem, was a woman and a man, and they were young, and they were African Americans, and they, and so Chris, uh, uh, the editor said, we love the story, we love like the possibility of it, but I'd rather hear it in your own words. Mm, mm. So then I yeah, then I wrote I wrote three thousand pages which he compacted into like um uh, three hundred and seventy four pages. So a lot of stuff were but it wasn't intended at the time for an international market that we're gonna that they threw it out there uh, and uh, well, it did an initial printing of a hundred thousand copies which all sold out in the States. Well but they didn't market it and then like what what we got here was actually like bought by Lazi Sarobi when he was head of Sony. Yes. He bought 5,000 copies and uh, had the exclusive books carry them, you know. And they sold out in a, yeah. in a flash. So it never really was released. In South Africa. Yeah. Okay, or so anywhere else, we're just releasing <laughs> the States. In, so hence, so hence this re-release is, is really should be considered as a first release. Okay. So, so again though... Um, I, I I just wonder how you believe the book would influence, or or, or just by telling the story would influence other musicians uh, about the kind of lifestyle you mentioned earlier that it goes to people's heads very quickly. You know, being recognised. How do you think it's going to influence their their journey, their own personal journeys? Will they learn something from it? I don't know. If there is something to it. <laughs> Look, you know, it's, I mean, the one thing I think that there are many, not just musicians, that most people can learn is that very few people are successful at success, mm. and that uh, in most cases it consumes uh, the person, you know. Mm. And the fact that I've survived myself is 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 is, is amazing because I shouldn't really be alive, you know, based on what, well, what most mean? of the people that did what I did are dead. Mm. You know, and I think one of the things that saved me is that I always exercised, even when I was at my big, uh, most addicted. I always went to the gym in the morning, but I did it for like ulterior motives to clean out the body so that they could have you a can fresh have heart. Some more. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm hoping that um, uh, it'll inspire people, you know, to to to. To to not take the trip I took because mm. I did it the long way around, mm. you know. But it's better if you just focus on what you've had, um, had talented at and like have the most respect for it, and uh, it'll stay. It'll stay with you. But as soon as you abuse uh, your popularity, it eats you up. And I think like the biggest example of like people who thought they were legends were people like Michael Jackson who mm. died from his. Mm. Obsession with legend. What, what what turned you around? Do you remember the time that turned you around and you thought, "This is rubbish. I I cannot do this anymore. I will die." Well, uh, um, many of my friends in the states had turned around their lives. You know, mm. people that I'd, that I'd started with, including I mean, like people like Dave Crosby. Uh, um, oh, Crosby, Stills and Nash mm. was one of my best friends. In fact, I took my first LSD trip at his house. Mm. You know, 
him and my friends too had, uh, were my guys. But all these people had reformed. And they were, they were trying to influence me and hoping that I would be okay. And uh, they all knew uh, uh, my sister Barbara because we all grew up in the States together. And um, um, at the time, Barbara was the, the um, uh, ambassador mm. to France. But uh, she wrote to me and she said, uh, you have stolen my brother. I don't know who you are. Mm. I want my brother back. Mm. And until the time as you give my brother back to me, don't call me. Don't. Mm. And then, but she, then she organized all my friends, Stuart and them, uh, to not take my calls. Even my girlfriends at the time. And so, um, um, after about four or five months, everybody, I mean, Stuart is my, is, you know, is almost like a twin brother mm. to me. But when I called him and he said, I said, hey, Stuart, he said, who is this? I said, Hughes, Hugh, have we met? Wow. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, sorry, man, I can't talk to you. I don't know you, boom. And everybody was doing that to me. So after about four months, I said, damn, okay. You're on your own. And uh, I've hit rock bottom because the loneliness, mm. you know, and that, that's this called tough love when they do that to you. But it sent the message, and uh, at the end of December 1987, I decided I called uh, my friend Johnny Sterling. He was the only one talking to me. They had elected him. Okay, you stay open. And um, uh, he he was the one who met me in London and took me to, to rehab. the rehab where he had been nine years before. And it was my you know, he was my publisher as well. He was the head of uh, Warner Brothers Music in Europe. And um, um, I think if my sister hadn't uh, uh, done that, I probably would have um, uh, hung out a little more until probably I was picked up off the street mm. or something. Mm. Yeah, you must love her now for that. Always, I mean, we're, uh, uh, um, my first friend was Barbara, mm. and I was her first friend. It's one of the things she said: "You were my first friend, and uh, um, um, you can't take away. You can't take that away from mm. me." And um, we've always been in each other's corner, you know. And um, she felt like I'd abandoned her when I do the, did this. She felt it was a very selfish move. Yeah, she'd wasted all of those years, yeah. you know, being your friend. So, so you know, I'm listening to you tell your story, and you tell it with such detail. And I know that you write a lot. And I'm wondering if there's a there's a second volume of this book. I'm working out. on it now. I'm working on on on, on it, and it's not. Actually, a second volume to this that book because that book ends in 2002, which mm. was, which was uh, 13 years ago. I'm writing this um, the present book from an observation place, you know, I'm, uh, observing uh, all aspects of life today as I see them with all I've learned. Mm. So I'm talking about friends. I'm talking about politics. I'm talking about music. I'm talking about travel. I'm talking about different countries mm. and, and, and um different uh, cultures as and, well. and and um and and um I am giving my cheap opinions about everything. <laughs> Why not my cheap <laughs> Why are they cheap? <laughs> well give me a cheap opinion. I mean when you when you were coming home um for the first time I think all of us just were elated uh that you were coming home with a whole lot of other musicians. The 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 the, the, the the, the excitement was almost palatable in, in, in the country, you know, after 1994. 
Yeah, before that. Um, what what do you remember about those days? Because I think, you know, it, it'll help us just think back a bit. Um, well, the greatest thing that happened to me, like I said, was the uh, the opportunity to play with uh, South African musicians again. And uh, I was a big fan at the time of like two of the biggest groups at the time here with Sankomota mm. and, and Bayete. So we formed uh, an integrated five and a half hour show. I came with like some of the musicians I'd been with overseas, like uh, Lawrence Machiza and Bagitu Kumalo and Maurice Goldberg and some of the musicians from West Africa. And and we had a, a four month tour of this country and um, we played uh, um, arenas uh, and, and, and big tents. And we had like a minimum audiences of like 10,000 people sold out. And there were also like really integrated uh, audiences. And um, it was just like idyllic. My first two years here were just like idyllic because I was meeting everybody that I grew up with Mm -hmm. who was still around. And I was able to... um, really get back into my heritage and learn it mm. you know that uh, I could sit with my grandmother still and with my father and I taped 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 and I'd never been to Limpopo mm. you know where I was because I left here when I was 20 so my father said to my father take me to Medina to these people let me go and then my uh, aunts some of them were in their 90s already, but they all insisted that I should learn the praise poetry and uh, mm. and and um, uh, today I'm almost speaking Sitokwa A, <laughs> you know, and I spend a lot of time. I've also bought, um, 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 you know, a, a lot of land in Botokwa mm. uh, where, where you know I want to like develop uh, heritage-oriented uh, things. So uh, that 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 uh, you couldn't get a better privilege to be able to like come back after 30 years and go deeply into uh, your heritage and. And the, the loss of 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 the the visibility of our heritage in our lives mm-hmm. for, compared to when I was a kid is one of the most disturbing things. You know, when I look at today's kids, I look at my grandchildren. And I say, if I don't imbibe them, mm-hmm. you know, with the heritage uh, 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 opportunities that have been opened to me, um, and then like twenty years from now, when they ask them who they are, they're gonna say. They say we used to be Africans long ago. <laughs> they <laughs> and, say, yeah, and and then that is my 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 biggest uh, obsession. And and I formed the Heritage Foundation. Fact, it just got registered now after two years of different applications to try and 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 be instrumental in encouraging people and those who are already into it. To form uh, situations where we can like bring back the visibility of heritage through entertainment, or, but also you know uh, through uh, education. I mean, we, we have to lo- know know our history. We have to know that Mapungubwe is not just a festival in Limpopo. Mm. You know <laughs> that it was a kingdom. We have to know that Monomotapa is not just a hotel in Harare, <laughs> but it was a you know. And uh, uh, we have to learn uh, 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 we're the only people, the only society that doesn't know their 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 heritage. Of course, it's not uh, our fault, but like they've really got us to a, to to the point where 
maybe 2.5 billion uh, Africans all over the world are consumers. We don't sell anything. Mm. So, have you considered uh, uh, engaging our present government, you know, because we've got all these days like Heritage Days and, Mm. you know, those kinds of things? I try to steer as far away as possible from the political community because I've found them internationally to be very touchy and paranoid hmm. and thin-skinned. It's the, the most heartbreaking thing for me uh, is to watch how uh, administrations all over Africa uh, have been taken over by people who, who, who have made their inaugurations, coronations, and uh, who have just like destroyed their countries mm. all you know all over africa but it's, it's, i mean it's all over the world mm. too, you know, well you know how you and i can talk for a long time there's more to that interview but that's what we had time for today so do get the book uh, uh still grazing it is at all good bookstores thank you brahu it is now time for news headlines with utsile sarku and then after that we bring you an interview with cassandra wilson utsile 107.1 The home of SAFM in Seapoint SAFM South Africa's news and information leader My guest is Cassandra Wilson Grammy award winning jazz musician vocalist, songwriter and producer and she joins me now on the phone uh, Cassandra Wilson, hello and thank you for your time Thank you so much, how are you? I'm good, very good and happy to be talking to you Happy belated birthday by the way Oh, thank you so much. We're very excited that you are making a trip to South Africa for performance, and we thought it would be good just to celebrate you and celebrate your music, which which is, and I'm not too sure what to call it, because you've broken so many boundaries as far as music and genres is concerned. Well, I don't know what to call it either. <laughs> <laughs> Except it's music that, that is uh, from my personal experience. It's from my lifetime, so... I don't believe in having having boundaries in, in the music that you make. It's just about being true to yourself. Where did your influences come from, though? Because, you know, reading about you, you've spent time with uh, Ellis Vesalis and as, as some of the people that are recognized for having been there in your early days, and the M-Base Collective with Steve Coleman. But I, I'd like to believe that your influences came long before then. That's true. My father was a great influence because he had this tremendous record collection of jazz. And so I was listening to jazz at a very early age. You know, people like Miles Davis and Cannonball, Addie Lee, and Nina Simone, Mm. Nancy Wilson, Billie Holiday, of course, and Ella Fitzgerald. It's a long, long list of musicians that I listen to. Which of your instruments, though, came came first as a as a way of expressing yourself, uh, uh, apart from your voice? You know, did you pick up the guitar first, or was it the piano that you used for your first expressions? I began playing the piano first, and I was six years old when I started to receive classical piano lessons. And the guitar much later? Yes, the guitar came when I was about... Well, just take us back a bit to, because uh, I know Delta, I'm sitting in South Africa, I don't know much about Delta, but it comes up quite a lot, I suppose Mississippi being where you were born, but how should we understand that story of your life? 
Well, I was born in Jackson, Mississippi, which actually geographically lies between, it's almost a midway point between the top of the Mississippi Delta and New Orleans. So it's about close to 300 miles north of Jackson, and New Orleans is about, I think it's 240, 250 miles south of Jackson. So Jackson lies kind of in, in the crosshairs, you know, between two very much related musical traditions the blues, and jazz. And some country. Absolutely right. Country music. There's a lot of country musicians who come from Mississippi. And there's also the element of funk. There's uh, rock and roll. Today, there are a lot of uh, hip-hop artists that are from the region. So it, it, it's always been a hotbed for musical innovation and creativity. You know, listening to you also becomes like a documentary of the lifestyle or the history of the Delta, I, I should say, because you evoke and just listening to you, one imagines a whole people and community whose stories you tell through your music. Is that correct? Yes, actually. So I, I, as I said earlier, it's, it's always uh, important to reflect your life and times in your music, which is why I steer clear of staying inside of a box in jazz. It informs you when you want to, to venture into other areas. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> but your voice is also very unique. You, it, 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 it has a, a particular texture to it. Was that deliberate or you didn't need to do anything with it? Uh, well, I never took vocal lessons, if that is what you're asking. But... The voice creates itself. You know, you find your own voice. And it's very important in our tradition, in our discipline, that you have a unique instrument. It's not supposed to sound like anyone else's. And it's supposed to be crafted based on your influences, but not repeating what they've done, extending what they've done and enveloping that sound inside of what you go on to create as your singular voice. So you, you're coming to South Africa, and we, we've heard so much of your music, and you've also just released your latest project, Coming Forth by Day, and you mentioned uh, Billie Holiday. What sort of repertoire can we expect? Well, you know, because I haven't been to South Africa in quite a while. I think it's been over five years now. I, I'm not sure. Uh, it's been quite a while since I've been there. I'm going to probably do something old and something new, and something bald and something blue. You know, it's like having a, a wedding. <laughs> I see. May I put in a request? I just saw on Facebook your redemption song, which was so, so special. Do you think you'll probably do that if as you, well? If you want that, yes, you can have it. <laughs> because you have a knack of, I mean, you take redemption song, you take uh, pop music, and you turn it around and, and, and create a, a different kind of feeling in, into the song, and you jazzify it, if I may, if there's a word like jazzify it. So, <laughs> we'll make it a word. <laughs> I like that. That is what makes your music so amazing, and, and also your performance is so effortless. Did I see that you don't wear shoes on stage? Uh, sometimes I don't. It depends on whether or not I have comfortable footwear. Ah. When I wear heels, I have to take them off because it's very difficult for me to sing with heels on for some reason. And this is, this is a quirk that I've had for all my career. 
I go out with the best of intentions when I when I'm wearing high heels, <laughs> you know, because they're so elegant and they lengthen the body and everything. But after a few songs, it just becomes unbearable, and I usually do take them off because it grounds me and I'm able to sing better. Well, we want you to sing better, so we don't care whether you wear shoes or not. <laughs> We thank you. <laughs> we give you permission not to wear shoes. I thank you so much for your time, Ms. Wilson, and we look forward to welcoming you to South Africa again. And uh, I know you're going to have a packed room, so we, we can't wait to, to see you next year. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to it, and I, I send greetings to all of the fans in South Africa, and I hope to make new ones. Thank you so much. You take care. You too. Bye-bye.